This is Paul Nobles with the Eat Form Coaches Course. I am once again sitting here with Mike Nelson, and we have special guest Jeff Gervitz from Bang Fitness in Toronto. And so Jeff's going to talk to us a little bit about you know owning a really successful gym, kind of the the you know, process of walking people through a moderate approach to eating, and just kind of what you know success looks like you know from both a business standpoint and also from the standpoint of counseling clients. So Jeff, why don't you go ahead and give a, a short introduction for yourself? Sure. Uh, hi everybody. Uh, Jeff Gervitz. So uh, I'm the owner of Bang Fitness, which is in Toronto, Canada. Uh, we're a smaller gym, uh, 6,000 square feet, give or take, for those who are interested. We work with all kinds of folks. A good chunk of our people are general population, uh, but we've got pro athletes. We've got all kinds of people, and you know the the goal is really to just you know essentially get people moving well. Figure out if there's a gap, if there's a need, what is it, um, and just start building performance. We kind of think about um, often there's this sort of idea when people come in that they're supposed to look a certain way. Um, and maybe, maybe, um, but a lot of times that's based on, on a magazine or based on a, a movie star, or based on some, some idea of how they're supposed to look or perform and genetics vary, lifestyles vary. The bottleneck is always the way you're willing to live your life. So we first figure out what we can do in terms of, of that lifestyle. And then we look at how can we give full expression of that genetic potential? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that's sort of interesting related to this discussion is what progress looks like, right? Because I think that, you know, and I'll fully admit, you know, we were talking about this beforehand, a big part of, you know, my early journey was like, wow, that looks hard. I'm not doing as hard as that. And therefore, that's what I need to progress as an athlete. And mm -hmm. as I moved away from that, there was so many factors, you know, I mentioned, you know, CrossFit, I've had my experiences about powerlifting, you know, and what's been sort of funny as, you know, I'm getting closer to the 10 year mark on, on, you know, fitness being my lifestyle, the idea of, you know, virtually anything kind of being part of the process, right? And so can you talk a little bit of me, because I think, you know, if, you, if you're talking about professional athletes, as an example, you don't just say to those people, here's your template. There's a mom in the corner. You know, she's doing the same thing. She's just doing it less than you are. Right. I mean, can you talk a little bit about some of those, those types of things, like special accommodations that you make for athletes? Because I think it's nice to talk about that. But personally... I can just say, speaking for myself, you know, that for me to progress as an athlete, I had to kind of pick apart things, find the things that I was good at, work on some weaknesses and sort of address things and not necessarily just go into, you know, test mode all the time. Yeah, that's a great question. And you know what? I would say the same thing for athletes, though, as well. We don't want to be in test mode all the time. Um, not everything has to look like the movie montage. Uh, and that's what people get suckered into a lot. And you mentioned, you know, as you got into CrossFit, the first 
reaction he had was, wow, this is harder than what I was doing. And a lot of times harder is equated with better, right? Um, with athletes at the end of the day, um, nobody cares. You know, by the time you're standing on the finishing line of a hundred meter race, nobody is really asking how hard it felt. That's not what it's about. So we have some real performance markers, but I think that it's a real red herring. And if you're not a professional athlete and don't have aspirations to become one, it's just a different world. And I wouldn't sweat it. It's like worrying about what the formula one guys are doing when you're just trying to get from point A to point B from all the work, right? It's just a whole, whole different thing. So, um, we don't have everyone doing the same thing. That's something I've heard talked about a lot. Uh, yeah, we're just going to scale it down. We're going to say, we're going to take the same movement, but we'll use less weight, for example, for an athlete. Uh, so the way we, uh, organize our training at bank fitness is we call it a hybrid membership. Um, you know, folks call, call it semi-private training a lot. Uh, we've kind of moved away from that cause I hate the name because semi anything is, is seldom good. Yeah. Uh, can you hear my, there's Walter in the background. Yeah, no, my, my dog actually is upstairs. <laughs> um, she, she's oh, normally right. snoring in the background. Um, so sometimes he, uh, he fakes it. Yeah. He, just, he likes to uh, work me like a human puppet. Yeah. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so we, every, we have people training at the same time and they'll share a coach, but everyone has an individualized program. Uh, so it doesn't mean that they have to do the same stuff. Sure. We might cross, you know, we might address a given movement pattern Hey, we want to do, Hey, you know, horizontal press, for example, I'm not worried about syncing uh, times up so much. I'm not worried about syncing movements up so much. Um, and, and so we're just looking at, you know, the way, you know, what an individual needs, like I said, what do they need to feed into, or what do we need to feed into them so they can uh, have full expression of their potential? Uh, the main thing, you know, it all starts with the basics, right? And I'm sure you'd agree for nutrition. Are there any really obvious gaps? Is there something really simple and really easy to do? that you should be able to do and you're not doing? That's the first question. And so that's what I ask from a movement standpoint as well. And you'd think that athletes get a special pass, right? And, and that was, uh, I think that was a mistake I made early in my career where I said, all right, well, we've got our general pop and I think that these guys are great. You know, we need to, uh, you know, we need to accommodate them and, and worry about these basic competencies. But athletes, oh, they're totally different. We have to feed in this high uh, energy, complex stuff. And that's maybe. Wouldn't that be nice if it were the, you know, the case all the time? But often some of those basic fundamental things are missing in an athlete too. And we know that athletes are, are phenomenal compensators. So a lot of times they can perform at a pretty high level without um, having these fundamental skills in place. So whoever it is, that's the first question I'm asking. And I think a lot of folks would be surprised to see how often those gaps exist, even with a, a, an elite athlete. Well, you know, I definitely want to get into that a little bit more. One of the things that um, I wanted to start with, though, uh, we did have a question that someone was asking because they, they are a gym owner and they're relatively new um, to this process. And uh, they were talking about how do you get a client from the mindset of, you know, I need to eat less and be smaller um, to kind of more of a performance way of thinking that, you know, you know, one of the big 
things that we emphasize and and we really we really don't apologize for this we don't say oh we were just kind of kidding about that we would literally say to you you know here's your money back it was nice knowing you but the goal here is to get better at exercise right so can you talk a little bit about how you would talk to a client or maybe discussions you would have or, or just how you would approach that conversation? Absolutely. The dog, the dog. It's, it's a great question. I just got to tell you, like, <laughs> Jeff, this is like, this is a fairly chill conversation. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> this really, will, it's a really good question and it's an important one. Yeah. This will um, end up on iTunes, but it, it's not like, <laughs> it's not, you know, we're um, not like Bill Simmons <laughs> podcast or something. Um, so the, the fact of the matter is, this dog's killing me. He's killing me. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be oppositional with people. And often there's this um, impression we have, like, I know the truth. I know what's good for you. And I'm going to shove it down your throat, even if it kills you. Right. And guys are like, I just wanted to see my abs. Right? Um <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. Forgive That's okay. Me. Give me one second. Yeah, I think for anybody that you know is sort of listening, you know, in um, as Jeff goes to you know get his dog. Um, that's really not the approach of eating before. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'm so, it's the fun of uh, doing this stuff at home. Yeah. Um, well, let, let me okay. let me just finish what I'm saying um, because you know one of the one of the things that's sort of important to the discussion is you know if you come in and you've been eating 1,300 calories for the last two to three years and you're mm -hmm. kind of just banging your head against the wall and you're getting nowhere and you're not seeing the abs like Jeff's is talking about and you're not getting better as an athlete. It seems obvious for a lot of people that the opposite way is, is, is you know, kind of the right approach. But for, you know, people are resistant because they're scared they're going to gain weight, all these different types of things. So, you know, we don't say, hey, you know, eat 2,500 calories or we're done with you. You know, we really walk people through a gradual approach that allows them to move at the timeline that they're willing to move. One of the things that's interesting, and, and you know, if we can tie it into this part of the conversation, that'd be cool too, is what we find is as people start to reverse out of dieting habits, the better athletes, the, the people that, you know, can really kind of tap that side of things have the best success with that, right? You know, and so, you know, it sort of points like even for deconditioned athletes that the the end game is to get better at exercise, you know, and whatever that looks like for you, you know, because we don't really, you know, we're not going to say to someone here, you know, here's a CrossFit Games athlete that we work with, you know, you need to be like them, right? That's not the goal. So let's pick up on what you were saying in terms of like how, you know, you get that mindset change a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the first, you know, the first component of that is just meeting people where they are and saying, all right, really taking the time to understand what they want out of the process. And usually there's a deeper driver. Um, I don't know if I'd agree 100% that, you know, that we want them better at exercise. Like, obviously, we want them better at exercise, but that that's their fundamental goal. Um, it's a means to an end, right? They want to look better. They want to feel better. Um, and if you could wave a magic wand and do that, and bypass exercise altogether. Um, you could probably be a billionaire, 
right? You get that in that kind of magic. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an education process. And so where do we start? We start with taking a, a look at where they are and what they want to do. And we try to find uh, the best starting point. But along the way, you know, every single training session is an opportunity to, to build a relationship and to sort of realign their expectations and their perceptions of what the process is. A lot of people, and I, our industry drives me crazy because the expectations that people have and what tends to be marketed uh, usually is pretty loosely based in reality at best, right? So, you know, so what do we look for? We look for places. We don't harp on what they're bad at. We don't harp on, on what they suck at. We look for places where they can really um, start to develop strengths. You know, an example might be, you know, we get a lot of ladies who come in, uh, general pop, they would like to lose some fat. As it turns out, a deadlift is magical. And it's a money lift for a lot of women, right? Who, who really, uh, Mike knows what I'm talking about, uh, who hinge well, who pick it up fast. And, you know, within a year are, are pulling double their body weight or, you know, within, you know, in that ballpark. And that's tremendously empowering. You start focusing on those bright spots on, on what people can do. Uh, a lot of times they start to enjoy the process. I mean, and that's the whole point, right? Because there's no, there's no sort of magic transition and then you're stuck. Congratulations. You reach 12% body fat, you'll be there for the rest of your life. So how do we get people to engage in a process? We make it enjoyable. Um, and then once they build that skill set, again, we, we give them some opportunity to explore and play. What, what drives motivation? What drives engagement? And, and it's, it's feeling confident. It's, it's having the opportunity to experiment. Um, and then we see what direction we can take things and try to have some fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I think you're hitting on some some really good points. I think that, you know, even on the point that you think we might disagree on, we would probably disagree we would probably agree on because, you know, what what really, you know, when you when you talk about um, general population and and how they're marketed to, I I would argue that, you know, people have tried to make billions of dollars, you know, in that approach. That is the approach that is being taken. I sort of, you know, I mean, we went from zero to, you know, almost 1.3 million fans, you know, on, on Facebook, basically just talking reality, you know, and saying, um, you know, my background previous to this was a little bit of marketing, right? I had owned businesses in the past and things of that nature. And when I met Mike and, and, and all these fitnessy type folks, you know, I was like, wow, you guys are shitty marketers, man. You know, like you, you have, you know, you have all this stuff that totally makes logical sense. You know, you could sell people on a gradual approach, yet, you're letting these other people, you know, um, you know, hold the day, right? And so what I did is I started attacking those people. I was like, really? Are we still doing this? Because honestly, isn't it a joke at this point? I thought it was a joke. Everybody I know thinks it's a joke. And then all of a sudden people are like, yeah, I never had any success with that either. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and, uh, and so, so I, I think we do have the high ground. Right. And I think that, you know, uh, I, I think that kind of what we're talking about that is 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 the real money spot is, you know, 
and and it sort of relates to the question that I talked to to you about and asked your opinion, you know, for for Jennifer Smith, um, is it's really selling the idea of a lifetime of trial and error, right? And you know, I don't have the answer for you, but I will tell you that all along the way, I will be able to communicate with you, and between you and I, we will figure this out, right? And, that's and, a great way to think of it. Yeah, that's yeah and I think, I think that, you know, one of the, one of the recent products that we have for, for Eat to Perform, you know, I was on a, a coach's call, and one of the coach's calls went long, and one of the clients, you know, um, she had kind of a, a problem that needed a little bit more time. And I was like, well, you know, I'll give you a call, you know. So I gave her a call, and we started talking, and I did not solve her problem. The the thing that I think she left the phone call because she was really down in the dumps when I first called. And then when I was done, she was like ready to run through a brick wall. You know, why? Because she knew she had an advocate. And, you know, what I think we think as, you know, proactive healthcare providers is we think that they want a solution for the 30 days. We They want abs now. And we'll say, well... Maybe abs is a realistic possibility. I mean, like you talked about earlier, you know, trying to get them to compare, you know, you're you're comparing your before picture to someone's photoshopped after picture. You know what I mean? And we need to sort of get away from that a little bit. One of the interesting, I think you get a kick out of this when when we were talking to Lane Norton. Um, Lane Norton like literally went off for about 20 minutes talking about you know, being bloated and how like having excess nutrients is okay occasionally, right? And it's actually a little bit of the secret to build leaning mass, lean mass. And so, you know, I think all those things are realistic conversations. And then when people can hear, you know what, you know, having a little, you know, inflammation, little, little buildup around the tummy, it's not the end of the world, you know? And, and if it can change your experience, um, I mean, the last thing, you know, before I, you know, I'm obviously dominating the conversation, but you know, the, the other part that I think is, is so, so important is when you view food, when you view food as something that you can use to get a response, it changes your relationship with food, you know? And I think a lot of people are coming from like a restricted background. They're looking at down, down, down is the only answer possible. And then when you introduce them to occasionally, you know, eating for maintenance, it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> I haven't had a regular date night in five years. You know, I mean, some of the, some of the things that we hear are just like, it, it just brings tears to your eyes, you know? Um, and I don't know. I mean, like from a, a gym owner's perspective, right? I mean, how, you know, talk a little bit about that because I mean, you're obviously a little bit more, you know, advanced down the line, you know, I mean, nobody's walking, you know, I don't know, maybe you have a Ferrari, but you know, most gym owners, you know, don't have Ferraris, you know, it's really, it's really kind of a, a, a life passion for them. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a really good point, right? We talk about um, the, this idea of food uh, and deprivation, and a lot of folks come in with, with food as the enemy. 
right? It's uh, and it's unfortunate. I think our job is to help people enjoy their lives. I'm not, uh, you know, uh, my role isn't to be their dad or to, you know, uh, be their drill sergeant. My my role is to figure out what's important to them and help them facilitate that. And sometimes, you know, we go through stuff, and and at the end of the day, we decide, yeah, being lean would be really great, but they also really like drinking wine a few nights a week and they're grown-ups man they can do that is they as long as they understand what the cost of doing business is i have zero problem with that um and and people when you're in maintenance mode if you're hitting a good sort of cruising speed you're never going to be um at, at that sort of ultimate level of leanness you're never going to be super kind of cruising speed that's just how you live your life but we're looking for those default settings um, I'll tell you about a concept that I use uh, that I think is, is pretty significant. Uh, we just call it the, uh, the minimum enjoyment standard. That's really straightforward. Um, if you're going to eat something, it's really for one of two reasons. It facilitates your goals and, and your health and your, your vitality, or it's really nice. It tastes really good. Um, and those are the two great reasons uh, to eat food. What happens sometimes is people maybe don't have great habits uh, and they, they didn't prep food, they didn't think of where to go. Um, and that lack of sort of preparation or planning means they grab something that was that sort of fulfilled neither of those criteria. That's a bummer. So that's what we'd like to remove. Um, and if all they do is eat really healthy food or really delicious food, I'd say they're, they're winning. They're doing life right. Um, so we say, well, what's our minimum enjoyment standard on a scale of one to 10? What's our cutoff point where I'm not going to eat it. If it's not good for me, um, how delicious does it have to be? It's like, you must be this tall or above to, uh, to get on the ride. You must be this delicious or more to get my mouth. And, and we'll start easy, maybe with seven out of 10. And then people start, um, it's a good philosophy. I think in general, yeah. giving Mike a hard time about this last week, <laughs> do less, right. Uh, and do less and do it better. Uh, so, so take some things out that don't need to be there. And, and I think that absolutely applies to food as well. Yeah. I think that, you know, that was, that was a big lesson for me. I mean, one of the things that Mike has said that I think, you know, and he can talk a little bit about it, but you know, um, if you look at something, you know, like you might call it whole food, some people might call it paleo, you know, whatever you call your food, right. Um, if you view it as a do list, you're probably on, on the right track. If you view it as a don't list, you know, that's where dysfunction starts to happen. And I know for, you know, myself, you know, thinking that, you know, there was like respite in, you know, a piece of cheesecake that was 1,500 to 2,000 calories. Um, you know, do I have cheesecake? Absolutely. Do I split it with my wife? Sure. Do I cut it in half? Maybe have some later on? Sure. You know, I think those are sort of the tricks that you sort of figure out as, as a fit person. The other night I was at a restaurant and, um, you know, I mean, you, you obviously see people that are, you know, unfit, you know, fitness is not a priority in their life, you know, and, and it just occurs to you as, as someone that, you know, does this, lose this life on a daily basis. Like the difference between where you are right now and where you want to be is like just small changes to way you're eating right there. 
you know, and then small changes to the way that you view, you know, exercise or fitness or whatever. I don't think it, you know, I mean, where, where, where do you fall on like, um, it's always got to be enjoyable. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I think that gets a little overdone. You know, I think sometimes hard is just hard, you know? And, um, I mean, you look at, you know, somebody like Rich Froning, right? And you go, wow, what's that guy's secret? I don't know. Maybe it's a lot of hard work, <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, you know, I, I think I brought this up either in last week's thing or, or, or one of the ones recently. But Rich, you know, who has a great body, when you put him next to somebody like James Townsend, like Rich is envious of James Townsend. And you go, well, Rich, you know, does three and a half hours worth of work a day. James Townsend does five to six hours, you know. And so, like, you know, there's a, you know, there's a genetic factor, you know. Um, but can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that, you know, the tendency is to go, well, I don't like it, so I'm not going to do it. And then you just whittle down all these things that ultimately stop you from working, you know. And, and you know, I think that misses the boat a little bit, too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a good point. Hard work is uh, is kind of non-negotiable, um, but you can't really drag people kicking and screaming into it. Um, and and inertia is not a great reason. You know, having done something the day before and the day before that is is not enough of a reason to keep doing it. So how do we apply hard work? And I think that um, it has to be undulated. So my first question like before I get into that, it's just sort of what, what do we have to work with? Well, this, this guy can work six hours a day. He's willing to, to put that in. This guy's willing to put, you know, three and a half hours a day uh, of training in. Who, who are we talking to? How much time are they willing to, to put in? And is that a sustainable pace? Right. Because this is sort of the, this is the problem we get into with fitness and nutrition all the time. Yeah. Why well, you can go super hard for two weeks and then feel terrible when you crash and burn. So first question is what kind of cruising speed can we get up to? How much time does your lifestyle allow? Okay. Let's start there within those gaps. Should we be pushing hard? Yeah. Um, and if we're not there yet, we, we want to be moving in that direction. But when, you know, you, you said the magic words, when you're talking about incremental change, well, we can do that for hard work too. And a lot of it is, so again, instead of worrying about, Oh, this is, you know, we, we talked about looking for the bright spots in training. And a lot of that is not focusing on how grueling it is, not focusing on, on how difficult it is, but let's, let's focus on, on, um, output. Let's focus on performance. Let's focus on how much weight or how fast or how great you do. Um, and a lot of the other stuff is just kind of the, the admission price. Um, and I don't think it has to be, so there's a difference between, something that's hard and something that uh, feels mentally very hard because um, what Rich Froning does on a daily basis, again, isn't mentally grueling every time. This is what people like to think, right? They're watching videos and they're like, everything has to be uh, unspeakably difficult. Or we, we saw John Meadows speak uh, this past weekend and he'll put up, you know, the final set on video where they grind it out and go to failure. And people are like, I can't imagine doing a workout like that, that would crush me. Yeah, it would crush John Meadows. He doesn't right. train like that. Right. You right. see one small part of that. 
Um, so I think hard work again. So I would I would sort of be very careful to separate and like bucket out what is difficult in the, or what is hard in the absolute sense, like how much work is being performed and what is mentally taxing because we can't be at the breaking point every workout. I think I just want to stop you there because I think that's a great point and I don't want people to misinterpret what I'm saying because hard really is hard for you. Right. And so, you know, I can tell you right off the bat that, um, you know, when I started to get fit, I was 230 pounds, you know, I started doing two days. Right. And I was doing lots of cardio and immediately I started to get sick and I started to get kind of like these nagging little injuries and, you know, my body was just not going to allow me to have that level of work capacity yet. Now, I could do, you know, something like that fairly easily now, right? But at that point, I just wasn't ready. And so, you know, I had to sort of work through trial and error on what would be a good fit there. And I think that if people are relatively patient, you know, you kind of only know what you know. I mean, I have so many regrets about, you know... Um, where I am now compared to, you know, where I could be, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, you only know what you know when you know it. So talk to me a little bit about the way that you view hybrid training, because we, you know, we talked to Alex Vieta. Um, he was actually the first, you know, coaches course that we'd ever done. Um, and that was really, really cool. Um, can you give me some ideas on like, because he was really talking about, elite athletes and what I, I think is really nice about what you're talking about and I know that you know he would probably argue with that a little bit that that it does apply to some gin pop and I use his methods and I consider myself relatively gin pop um, talk to me about how you you know periodize training or look at training you know for your athletes okay we, we talking about athletes? We talking about gym pop? I, I can well, I guess I guess I consider everyone athletes. You know what I mean? Or athletes, or athletes that want to be athletes, right? Yeah, I you know it's I used to think all right, well we're all you know we're all just trying to perform the high level, and we're working at a certain effort level, and whatever comes out, you know, has to do. Um, you know, has a lot to do with our own genetics or, or kind of uh, our, our skills in terms of recovery or nutrition or anything else. But I think a lot of, you know, um, the way I, I differentiate now is, well, what risks are we willing to undertake? You know what I mean? Um, because if, if you've got a multi-million dollar contract on the line, um, you know, maybe, maybe we're going to take a few more risks. Um, you have to, you have to make the cut. If you are, um, if you're just trying to play with your kids and trying to enjoy your life, we're going to be probably a lot more conservative about what we throw at you. And if we have to take more time, um, and, and see sort of a larger training gap emerge, so be it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's sort of an ongoing question, right? An ongoing debate for a lot of folks. What, um, can we, can we combine strength? Can we can we combine that that sort of aerobic pathway and, and, and strength? Is are we going to lose uh, our gains? Are we going to lose our benefits? And I think it really has a lot to do with training age. Um, it has a lot to do uh, with with the individual. Uh, and at the end of the day, you sort of pick your metrics. Like, what are you tracking? 
it's all guesswork, right? Unless, I mean, if you've got, uh, if you're using some kind of metrics, uh, you know, I don't, we don't draw blood on a regular basis. It's expensive and it's a pain in the ass, but it would be great, right? To have that in. And then you could maybe make some quicker course corrections. But at the end of the day, you're going to, you'll test whatever you test and see, see what shakes out. Um, at the beginning, right? Well, Mike's, you know, I want to hear from Mike because he's a better person to talk about the physiology here. Um, so all I would say is, uh, you know, and, and again, this is something we chatted about last week. Uh, do you have, do you have the robot capacity to even, um, build strength? Uh, and what I mean by that is let's, let's say, for example, what you need to do to build strength in a squat is at X percentage of one RM, you're going to have to accumulate five by five. You need that much volume. You need that sort of level of intensity. Can, can your aerobic system do what it needs to do in terms of bringing in nutrients and shuttling out nonsense for you to do that work without, you know, needing three hours um, to get through all your sets? Can you do that? If not, um, you don't get a pass go or collect $200. You have to work on, on the aerobic system. If that's in the same session, it really doesn't matter at that point, right? And I think a lot of You're... people are so afraid to, oh, I don't want to, you know, they're, they're trying to have things fine-tuned to the nth degree. You know, really, what's happening? Um, we we just have some basic stuff to work on. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're hitting on something that is 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 kind of a, a thing that grates on me, right? And it's the the fact that you know, there's this idea that if if you do anything cardio based, that you're going to lose strength. And there there's very little scientific data that talks about that. I mean, like. You know, are we talking about, you know, you, you know, doing, you know, a half marathon and then eating 5,000 calories? Or are we talking about you doing a half marathon and eating 2,000 calories, right? Like, what are we, what are the parameters you're basing your argument around, you know? And so, like, I'll give you an example of what my training looks like and, and then, you know, you can, you'll have an idea of, of what I'm talking about. In general, I have kind of my heavy sets, right? And I loved what you were saying about aerobic capacity because, you know, when I'm doing, you know, something that's a little bit more hypertrophy-based, I've got to be able to hold my core for eight reps, 10 reps, you know what I mean? Sometimes up to 20 reps. You know, you're not going to be able to get to 20 reps if you never make aerobic you know, training a little bit of a priority for you. And, you know, maybe you can get to where you want to go without that, but the more tools you have in your toolbox, the better, right? Um, but but just quickly, you know, my training, heavy, a um, little bit of hit, kind of working the same muscles, um, some hypertrophy, some wad type things, maybe either slow circuit, high circuit. I do long endurance on, on Fridays, typically about three hours. Um, and then I have kind of a potpourri day. Um, oh, we lost Jeff. I don't know. Uh -oh. Well, he might. Or the dog got to the internet. Yeah, <laughs> the dog got to the internet. Um, the, the cable out. Uh, we might still have back. him. Oh, there he is. <laughs> we lost you for a second there, Jeff. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> uh oh, that damn dog. Um, oh, he'll be back. Canadian internet. Yeah, you know it's funny because like, well, you know, until Jeff gets back. You know, we'll talk a little bit about this, um, and I'll try and keep an eye out for him because he might he might pop off and then pop back on. Um, oh, is that? 
Jeffrey, can you hear us? Hmm. We've lost Jeff, it looks like. Um, he cannot hear us. I wonder if I can maybe intentionally kick him out so he has to sign back in. Can, Jeff, can you nod to tell us that you hear us or not? Because um, he is he is not responding. Okay, here I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can um, I'm gonna dismiss him and then see if he comes back. How about that? Um, can you message him maybe on Facebook or something, Mike? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll drop him a note here. Yeah, just tell him that you know he went dead and and you know want him to come back. <laughs> but you know, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk a little bit about you know where I was kind of going with it because you know my my you know long endurance for a while. You know, I was trying to work up to as much as I could, but you know, it really sort of got to a point within the last I'd say month where I decided, you know what, like three hours is a lot. <laughs> you know, so That's I'm just gonna time. yeah, so I'm just gonna go with three hours. And then what I've done is sort of like this optional um, work with my wife on the weekends. And that used to be kind of a potpourri time. I would either weight lift or wad or whatever. And what we've been doing recently is actually, um, I don't know what your opinions are on this, but we've been doing rucks. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, with a, with a weighted pack. I, I know you did some, some stuff with the Army back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. what, are you, what are your thoughts on that kind of work? Uh, it can be okay. I mean, it's definitely very good from an exercise standpoint. My only concern with it is that if the volume gets excessive and your mechanics start to deteriorate, um, it can beat people up pretty bad. Um, again, it depends upon where you're carrying the weight, how much weight, what terrain, you know, that kind of stuff, because people from their hip standpoint tend to be very anterior shifted with their hips because it's going to push the weight more closer to their midline. Um, so I just like to be careful of the mechanics of it. And if you're only doing it one day a week, it's probably what, not that bad. But what you're saying, I work some people have to do it repeatedly. What you're saying is basically try to stand relatively tall. Yep, and then also how the pack fits and you know where it is and things of that nature and stuff make a pretty huge difference too so yeah we're we're getting jeff back um i think slowly. yeah i see he's logging back in here so. i think slowly but um let's see he's sort of lifts listed as a panelist i'm gonna unmute him i don't know why he looks like he's muted himself um but yeah i mean uh i i think luckily for me you know kind of we talked a little bit about this earlier you know, when my fitness level was low, I would get sick, you know, all these other types of things. There's Jeff. Um, Jeff, can you hear us? I just sent him a note to see if he can unmute himself. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's unmuted from my standpoint. Um, it seems like we're, we're fine, um, but he's kind of looking like, not sure. Um, <laughs> and now he's walking around the room. Um... Yeah, I, I think that you're you're right. I mean, like me saying to someone, hey, you know, just go ahead and, you know, throw 45 pounds on your back and walk for three <laughs> hours, you know, um, that's probably not, you know, a good thing. I mean, my wife and I actually, we, <laughs> we actually had a pretty funny moment. I talked a, a little bit about this. Um, Jeff, can you hear us yet or no? 
Doesn't seem like he can. Um, I think he's looking for the unmute now. I sent him a note. Yeah. Well, I'm not really seeing that he is muted, but, you know, there's obviously some type of problem that's kind see of bu can, a bummer. We were having a good conversation. Um, let's see if I can get a... I'm trying to do a picture of it here. Yeah, I, I think I'm back. There you go. Oh, You're back. back. There we go. Um, hey! Oh! Yeah. So, so you know... Oh, no. Did we, did we lose you again? Now you can't hear us. Yeah, I think we might have to start just having panelists call in, maybe? You know, that might be a better approach um, yeah. down the road. It usually works, but who knows? Yeah. Well, it's always nice for people to see the face. I always like it, like, with our coaching, you know, clients, right? Where, you know, when they can be on a call, you know, you can kind of put a face to the name and, you know, that that kind of is interesting um but yeah i mean like my wife and i we were talking that you know when we were unfit you know doing something like we were doing would have just been you know been obscene you know mm -hmm. um and and would have certainly lended itself to injury the other thing i think that is you know was kind of funny um we stopped at like this picnic table on this on the top of this hill so Jeff, you're you're there. I'm here finally. Okay. So uh, my so, diagram must have helped. So so <laughs> thank you, Mike. <laughs> so what I was what I was uh, describing, you know, I guess um, you know, I started off with you know my heavy sets and then um, some level of high intensity work, working more fast twitch fiber. But what I should really start with is what I was doing. Because I think that that was, that was really interesting. I was three on one off, right, with like CrossFit style workouts. And I was, you know, trying to do mobility work and all this other stuff, you know, rolling around on a, on a, on a thing, you know, before workouts and stretching and all this other type of stuff. And yet I still had like this alien that lived in my glute for like, you know, two <laughs> years, you know. And then um, uh, I got so sick and tired of that that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go to powerlifting. I, I just can't do this, you know, alien in my glute thing. And I thought to myself, this powerlifting thing is going to really give hurt me. What now? I did not give it a name. Did no. you give it a name? I did <laughs> not give it a name. I should have given it a name. But what happened when I went to powerlifting is I started moving more correctly, right? And, you know, I introduced this really interesting concept that was – abhorrent to me for about three years and it was the concept of rest right and then now if you that's crazy at, yeah i know right <laughs> you know um i mean you know i i love working out i just love it i love the atmosphere around a gym i love i love the people you know but you know i have figured out that you know my body works best if i do things kind of a certain way and so so i have some level of hypertrophy work I'll do some slow circuits, some fast circuits. Then I have endurance. Now I'm still kind of playing with the endurance thing. Like I, you know, we had sort of got broken up right at the time where um, I was talking about how I was going from four to five hours, but I've kind of pulled back to three hours. And then I, like, I have this optional thing with my wife on the weekends. And so, um, but but the idea is, you know. Most of my endurance is on one side of the, the week, and then most of my heavy stuff is on the other side. 
and then in the next is where like the hybrid stuff comes in. Give me an example of, of, you know, how you program, you know, or how you view what I just said. Okay. Um, yeah, seldom is it broken up that much. Uh, we'll see that maybe with, with some very advanced people where we've really, you know, tried in a couple different ways and found uh, that's where things work the best. And, and for anybody, I would just say, well, what are your KPIs? What do you want to measure? Okay, well, let's let's put that aside. And, and at the end of the day, this is all going to be experimental to a certain extent. So try it one way, test things out, try it another way, see what works better for you. Factor in the fact that uh, <laughs> that may just be because of novelty, uh, always, always strong. Uh, but generally speaking, yeah, things will be really merged together for somebody new. Because I don't think it matters, uh, you know, for the reasons we were talking about. So strength and aerobic qualities all sort of matter. We'll start separating them first, maybe by training is in the same session, but not training it in the same uh, with the same muscle fibers. So maybe it's going to be uh, upper body. You know, we're, we're looking uh, for strength, and lower body will do for you know some active recovery or something. Uh, more aerobically driven, and then we may start as as time goes by separating things more out into distinct days. Um, you know, I have this kind of uh, thought, you know, or this theory about about general physical preparedness uh, and what what really goes into that. <laughs> Shoot, where your internet, Jeff, is is kind of wonky right now. I don't know why, but. I felt like we were just getting to something really good. <laughs> I was really here. I was really interested to hear his thoughts on general physical preparedness. Yeah, but I mean, I can feel it a little bit till he comes back. That I mean, we had a talk on this past weekend about it. Yeah. I I don't want to talk for him, but in the meantime, um, there's so no other option that, at this point. Yeah, yeah. He was saying that, like you said, they'll do uh, upper body strength, and then maybe some lower body aerobic stuff for different fibers. And maybe he'll chime in once he's unfrozen there. That's um, interesting. And I... that more of it will be kind of combined. And then over time, they will, you know, kind of split it out a little bit um, as needed. And, you know, that's kind of supported by most of the literature. If you have someone who's untrained, you know, you can have to do all sorts of stuff. They get pretty good gains. But at, at the elite level, right, you don't see top level power lifters winning marathons. You know, at some point, they do kind of diverge out. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Like, are you, are you saying, or, or, you know, I mean, you don't need to speak for Jeff, but, um, are you saying that basically someone would work, you know, bench, maybe do some overhead press, maybe do some like chin ups, things of this nature. And then their cardio would be kind of lower body and it would almost work as kind of a split where you're working your, your, um, uh, you know, fast switch in the top and then kind of getting some energy systems from the bottom. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that could definitely work and Jeff can speak when he's back on, but um, at least you get a little bit of separation then because at the end of the day, you're, you're usually dealing with one block of time, right? So the average person says, okay, I can come into the gym Monday. I've got one hour and I can come in Wednesday and Friday maybe, right? So you're, you're trying to get these, things that you want to get, the qualities, the goals, adaptations, but you're usually limited because of time. So, I mean, if I had a perfect world scenario, I would split them up a little bit more, but the reality is for the slight benefit for people that are not uber trained or on a restricted schedule, 
doing more high quality work is still going to benefit them, even if there is, you know, a slight overlap in it. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, maybe just back now you can comment. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not completely sure he's back. (laughs) Um, But I think that, you know, what happens for a lot of people is they have an hour, right? And um, certainly if you do, you know, some kind of high intensity work, you know, it seems to gravitate always around 15 and 20 minutes. You know, part yep. of the, part of the reason why is because that's sort of what the client wants. You know, um, and you know, I I'll fully admit, like you know, for the first six months of of, of doing that kind of work, um, it you know changed my life. But then, oh yeah. But then from six months on, like, you know, I mean, the one thing that that you know I had the huge benefit was that I knew that I needed food, right? Because I, I didn't come into CrossFit, um, you know, 230 pounds. I had already lost 70 pounds. And so, you know, and, and I lost 70 pounds the majority of the time eating over 3,000 calories. So I knew, you know, in fact, when I first started CrossFit, you know, I wasn't really actively counting. But, I mean, you know, once I started to get more, you know, into, you know, that side of things, I kind of come from counting and then started counting after that. But easily, you know, um, let me just see. Yeah, he's trying to hop on again. So there, I just sent him a note. There we go. Um, I think we're just having like, oh, maybe back. I think we're just having <laughs> internet issues, Jeff. Um, it's not where, my fault for once. Where we're buffering. Yeah, the, uh, actually, you know, <laughs> we've been pretty good. We've been pretty good for, for this session. Um, <laughs> but, uh you know, I had to go from eating 3,000 calories to about 4,000 calories as my body started adapting to that. And then after my body adapted to the 4,000 calories, you know, which was a lot of work to eat, by the way. Um, oh, that's a pain in the butt. Yeah. Looks like. But um, once, I, once I did that, then, um, you know, th- once my body had adapted, you know, and I put on, you know, like an ungodly amount of muscle and, you know, like all new people, like new to weight training, um, you know, I had to come back to 3000, you know, my body had adapted, you know, and so there was no need for the additional calories at at that point. Um, Jeff, are you back? I'm back. Okay. So you had, you teased us with this idea of GPP and your, your view of GPP. So why why don't you start there? All right, let's let's hope uh, the internet holds out this time. Uh, so it's just a simple concept, and I think you know, if anything, um, CrossFit is a great example of, of taking GPP and, and leveraging it. Um, maybe if, if people go astray, sometimes it's trying is, is assuming it's going to turn into SPP all by itself, and and I don't think that's fair. But um, it's again just this idea of let's let's create a long list, and and my list is is pretty extensive, and. I think, you know, maybe Mike's would, would differ a little bit, maybe yours would differ a little bit, but we're going to look at what are some basic competencies, what are some simple things uh, that you can do, and if you can't do them, that you can bring up and improve in, in short order. So um, a lot of times people uh, hate to suck at stuff, I think I was saying, but the truth is if you suck at something, it's such a great opportunity, because right. if you're like a 3 out of 10, you can get to a 5 out of 10, right. a 6 out of 10 really fast. That's the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah but... Yeah. Um, so it doesn't mean I want to I want to chase my tail around, 
um, just constantly looking for what I'm bad at. But if there are any glaring errors or omissions, we can bring those up. And the way we'll consider those to factor into GPP is we'll take our main, our main qualities, we'll take it whatever's important to us, whether it's strength, whether it's movement, general performance, and we'll say, if I do this little thing that seems unrelated, if everything else gets better, we can say that's that's a factor in GPP. Um, when we stop reaping the rewards of that, we, we you can say, well, maybe we're starting to get into specialization. I'm strong enough, or I've got a good enough push-up or a good enough squat. Uh, I can hang long enough. Whatever it is that was, was fueling performance, once it stopped having an impact, um, we can say, all right, that's good enough for now. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does make sense. Now, Mike talked a little bit about how you view like a body split and and you know one of the discussions we were having as as you were kind of you know getting your canadian internet network yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know what's going on up there but you know um but the uh the the question uh you know people have an hour right and you know as a fitness professional you know we realize that that's kind of what we got to work with right um, you're trying to get them some level of aerobic capacity and some level of strength. Mike thought you were going to talk a little bit about how you might address fast twitch upper and then come back with like some level of aerobic stuff lower. Um, or was Mike just totally crazy there? <laughs> Mike, uh, Mike, as you may know, is a, is a pretty clever fellow. So yeah, he's on, he's on the money here. Uh, absolutely. So if we're doing, um, and th that's a great way to, to be really time efficient. So for example, um, if we wanted to go back to back with, uh, overhead pressing, maybe a banded sled pull, we, you know, if we want to completely take the upper body out of the equation, um, drag the sled around, do some mobility, whatever, you know, we have to recover, especially if we're chasing strength, you're going to need adequate recovery. We can keep your heart rate in a reasonable range. Um, we can, we can go after mobility. Uh, we can, we can look at whatever needs to go, you know, fit into that whole equation, um, without, you know, we're, if we're worried about interference effect, that's how we're going to manage it. Uh, yeah, and again, I, maybe for somebody more advanced, we have to completely separate that out, but I'll let performance tell the tale. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the thing that always bugs me about the, the cardio side of things where people are so negative about it is that. You know, when you look at your resting heart rate, when you look at your ability to recover, when you look at all these things that people take steroids for, you could also yeah. do cardio for, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that, you know, um, you know, cardio is steroids, but there's some similar components. I'm going to you on, yeah. on saying that. I'm going to tell people that you said that cardio was steroids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They need to perform, guys, and cardio is steroids. <laughs> Yeah, you know? and Mike Nelson too, damn it, and he writes for T, oh, T no, Nation. I'm, I'm throwing him <laughs> yeah, the bus too. He's the worst cardio steroid pusher. <laughs> Can I vote for Epo for cardio instead? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the um, but no, I I think that I think that you know, let's be honest, you know, I mean, like you don't want to put in three hours, you know, on the track, or you know, you know, like I like I get it. Hey, that's fine. That you know, it, I, I'll agree. You know, sometimes it sucks. I will say, like for myself, you know, I, you know, I did come from, you know, a little bit of a cardio basis. I felt like, you know, I needed that. 
Um, you know, at the end of most of my cardio without strength training, I had kind of that, that deflated look, you know what I mean? Where, you know, all my friends were asking me, are you sick? You know? Um, and so, so that was like a big sign that I needed to start lift, lifting weights and, and, yeah. you know, you when I, cycle off. Yeah, right. Yeah, I had to. I had to say, <laughs> I had to cycle off the cardio. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, the uh, no, and then I found weightlifting, and then I was like, yeah, you know, all these all these strong people are right. You know, this cardio sucks. Um, but uh, but you know, now you know, closer to to ten years into the journey. You know, I've sort of found uh, the happy medium between the two. Um, anything that you want to kind of end on? Because, I, you know, we've obviously had, you know, a few issues. But I think that, you know, overall, you know, we've been able to fill in the gaps pretty good. And, you know, we, we've been able to talk about things that we don't often talk about. Because, you know, really, you know, we're either on the nutrition. We've covered hypertrophy to death. You know, we haven't really had a lot of gen pop conversation, you know, and, and, you know, that's where the big audience is. And so I think that, you know, that was a good part of what you're talking about. So it's important. And I, I think, you know, and even for, and I, I talk to gym owners and other coaches all the time and, and follow center general pop. It's a really, it's a tiny percentage of the population, tiny, but um, it fuels so much marketing and, and takes up so it takes a disproportionate amount of attention because it's so sexy. Um, and if, if we are experts or want to be perceived as experts, we really want to talk about these minutiae. But you know the basics are are, are universal. Um, you know, so I like to spend a lot more time uh, talking about that stuff. The, the one thing I, I wanted to add about um, aerobic function, aerobic training is. Uh, a, a good, robust aerobic system is essentially a buffer for stress, right? Um, um, thumbs up from Mike, and he knows what's up. So it's like, well, what's training? Training's the stress. Yeah. Right? right so right. it seems to me that the better our, our buffering systems are, the more we can throw at ourselves. So, you know, people like to take things to extremes, and, and it doesn't mean you have to run an ultra marathon. It's, how, it's do enough, right? So... Um, sometimes we forget about that that minimum effective dose when we get really wrapped up in our own worlds. Well, you you had a phrase for it earlier. What was that? Because I need to write that down. Because you didn't, you know, you were talking about food and and rather than you know having like a gigantic piece of cheesecake, have just enough cheesecake where you enjoy the cheesecake. You know. Yeah, yeah. Our, our minimum enjoyment standard. Yeah, and a lot of times, yeah, it's not just the quality of food, but it's it's the amount. Right, because there's a sweet spot where you feel good about it, yeah. And as, as quantities increase, you start feeling bad. Like if you're gonna feel bad or guilty afterwards, that that's a factor in your enjoyment too. But Jeff, no, we're not no, we're not no, supposed no. to admit that. We're supposed to just work at the gym and just beast mode it up so we can have the biggest piece of lasagna ever. But you know, I, I do feel like a little bit. You know, we get sort of pigeonholed there. You know, that these people are saying, you know, eat 5,000 calories and, and, and do all the things and, and, you know, and it's like, no, we're really not saying that. You know, I, I, I personally, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but I have salads. Um, you know, the, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, right. I hate to admit it. I have salad salads. Uh, 
you know, I do cardio for steroids, um, but yeah. <laughs> shocking confession after shocking confession. Exactly. Huh? That's anti-beast mode. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, having having a reasonable dinner, you know, having um, you know, enjoying your life, you know, I think is 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 part of the process, and I think that you know, even looking back at you know when I had bad habits, it wasn't it wasn't you know going out for pizza on date night that was the problem it was going to pizza every night that was the problem you know what i mean and you know the when you realize what it takes you know to build muscle and put in effort and 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 things of that nature and you know i know you kind of like played it down you know based on people's goals but you know if you go to the gym and you've been going to the same gym for four to five years you know what i mean you're going to want some progress, you know, and you're going to want to continue progressing positively, you know, whatever that means for your goals, you know, um, I, I, I just think that that's a, that's, you know, kind of an important part of the deal, you know, like, um, for us, you know, we have kind of these events where we allow people to kind of measure their progress, you know, and we get a lot of gym pops. So, you know, they start off deadlifting 85 pounds and then like, you know, four months later they remeasure and it's like, oh my God, it's 215 pounds. It's like, okay, well, you know, you know, uh, I mean, this will, this will, this will make you crack up. When I first started CrossFit, I was 39. Um, uh, that was like my first year starting to weight lift. Um, I was absolutely convinced that I was making the CrossFit games as a master's athlete. Cause I mean, my, my, you know, I mean, I progressed, you know, from zero to, to, to in the four hundreds with deadlift real quick, you know, squat got to low threes, you know, this and that. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, where's all the gains gone? You know? And, and I'm only trying to tell you now that it's not a linear process. No, it's, it'll just keep yeah, the same rate. It's it's like this. And then there's and then there's this part that kind of sucks. You hate that part too, you know. Um, no, it it, it it's kind of funny. Like I actually spent a year just squatting, um, and I decided, you know, from that point forward, that you know, it wasn't you know I still squat right. But I'm really taking a different approach where I'm really breaking down my body and really working on my quads, really working on my glutes, and really sort of working on my movement patterns. Because I think that, you know, a lot of people think, well, I have bad mobility. And if I could just stretch, I would do, you know, this or that. You know, under anesthesia, you know, they would see that you know they have all the flexibility in the world so what is it that's causing you know these issues and i you know i would argue i think science would argue that strength is a much bigger component than a lot of people realize and then what they think is a flexibility issue is a lack of strength issue at times you know and it's, you know, they're asking the wrong muscles to do the wrong type of thing, which I know is a rabbit hole. We can go down for hours. And so, you know, it's probably really bad to bring up at 8.07 for a podcast that was supposed to, <laughs> <laughs> podcast that was supposed to end at 8. Um, yeah. But and I did trace the anesthesia study down. And it is true that you do gain some <laughs> flexibility, but it's not nearly as much as what the people 
professed. Um, so I did some cadaver work in Arizona last year. We had live, you know, fresh tissue, not embalmed cadavers, and you still found some pretty major restrictions because of the soft tissue. But That's interesting. I agree with what you're saying in terms of the strength and the mobility and everything else. Yeah. That could, yeah. So, so my notes for a second. It could be uh, certain areas where it purely is neurological, yep. um, but there is going to be a lot of times tissue adaptation too. Um, when's the system under threat? Um, you're going to get held back. You're going to get held back from either mobility or strength or all of the above. So, you know, that when, when people try to go hardcore all the time, um, and so I'm, I'm going to give you a, a great expression, and this is from uh, a friend of mine is a, is, is a pretty accomplished clarinetist, and he got this from one of his music teachers, and, and, and the teacher told him, when you practice, you're putting money in your pockets, and when you perform, you're spending that money. Mm. You know, that, so the yeah, that's you know, good. Summary is keep, keep positive cash balance. Um, if people are cons you know consistently breaking themselves down or, or just pushing the engine in, into the red every time, you're going to get some level of inhibition, and you have to be able to step back. You know, I've been doing some work where it was a simple, it was a simple goal. All right, I'm going to train this session, and all, my my only objective here is to breathe more deeply than I'm used to. It's not so easy. It takes it's it was a lot of concentration. Um, and what do you have to do, even across that divide? You have to take a substantial step back in terms of intensity. Um, and that's just kind of part, you know, you, you already graphed it out, right, Paul? It's yeah. a lot, there are a lot of, a lot of loop-de-loops. But you know, what's it, you know what I think that, like that, I think that that's, you know, as, as, as people that work with people, you know, and try and get them to the point where I think, you know, probably all of us are. Is that that's where the fun is? That's the secret sauce. The secret sauce is just going into the gym and and putting in some effort and not necessarily knowing. I mean, one of my big things that I talk about, you know, I'm actually overusing it at this point, but no one succeeds their way to the top, right? You there's always some level of failure that has to be involved. But you know, I do want to say, like, you know, that sounds like one beast mode ass clarinetist, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we got to we 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 got to make the clarinetist beast mode. Otherwise, we can't have you know him in the in the podcast, right? Um, well, Jeff, I appreciate you taking your time. I, I think that you know, um, you know, it, what's been nice about this is that you know through a lot of the the different podcasts that we've done, you know, I always consider myself like the nerd interpreter. And I think that, you know, what you're bringing to the table is, is, you know, just information that is, is, you know, consumable to people that, you know, is, is really kind of a, a, you know, a message everybody needs to hear. And, and that part of the, part of the, the process of getting better is really just a, allowing yourself just to enjoy, you know, the experimentation. So. Well, super. I appreciate you taking the time. I love Toronto, so, you know, I'll look forward to getting up and visiting your gym because it sounds like a good time up there. Outstanding. Yeah. Awesome place. I would right. recommend Thank it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, forgive my Canadian internet. Yeah, that's no yeah. problem. I think, I, think it actually, I think it actually turned out well. So I appreciate everybody being here, and uh, we'll get the recording up to iTunes as soon as possible. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Cool. See you guys.